Hi, I'm Natalie Sisson, an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, host of this untapped podcast, and a lover of handstands and dogs. I've spent over a decade building successful businesses I love and teaching others to do the same. I want to help you tap into your unlimited potential and make the income and impact you desire simply by being you. In fact, I'm on a mission to help 1,000 women earn at least $10,000 a month and contribute at least 1% of their revenue to causes that they truly care about so that together we can create a ripple effect in this world. So if that sounds like you and you're on board to learn how to make the mindset shifts you need to have the business success you want and the lifestyle that you desire, then this is the podcast for you. Well, we are recording already, yes. What? You got me grooming. It's called B-roll. No, it's not. I'm going to put this down a teeny. Tiny? Welcome to the 100th episode of the Untapped Podcast, and this is a pretty special episode because I have brought in my lovely partner, Josh, Josh Vile, to ask me the questions that you asked. So I said, ask me anything, and we're just going to go full steam ahead with questions that you asked for this episode. I'm an open book. Josh gets to pose the questions in any way and I'm going to reply and maybe he will uh, jam with me on this because he knows me so well. So let's get started. Josh, thank you so much for being on my podcast today and in my interview. I know it's not your normal state. Usually wants to be not behind the camera or in front of the camera, I should say. So let's go. Okay. Thanks for having me, Natalie. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. This question is from Robin Finney. Do you believe it's possible to be an overnight success or for major shift in income to happen in an instant? 100% not. Isn't that nice and positive of me? I think I always love that phrase of I was a 10-year overnight success and I do believe it doesn't necessarily have to take 10 years. I've seen people do things in months and even years, but I do think that so much of it is the groundwork that got you to where you are now or where you want to be. You can't rush that. It's never instantaneous. In a world of instantaneous gratification, I think it's been so drummed into us that that success can just happen. I just don't believe it's true. What do you think, Josh? I mean, Josh has also been an entrepreneur for the same amount of years as me, around 11 years now. We started our businesses at the same time. He's a developer, a programmer, runs an amazing online and offline school, teaching people like you and me how to become developers. And you have a big team and a big business. What do you think? All the people I've seen who are successful, none of it was overnight. It just appears overnight from the outside because once people start being successful is when they start getting noticed and it's often the the notice period which people think, oh, that happened really fast as opposed to actually seeing all the work that went on behind the scenes. Mm. I've seen people start new projects but that's often after doing a ton of work themselves. Like the non-overnight part was all the work they've done to get up to that period for something to be successful quite quickly. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I would like you to come a little closer to the mic. I think you're a little further. We're running off one mic, which probably isn't ideal, even though we have all this other fancy equipment that Josh bought. So next question. Thank you, Robin. All right. This question is from Siobhan Dunaher. What's the best thing about being an entrepreneur business owner? What's the hardest thing and what's your favorite part? Actually, let's just tell me what's the best thing. What's the best thing about? Hi, uh, Siobhan in Ireland. Um, The best thing, honestly, I was just thinking about it today is the fact that you can work your own schedule. Like it's the freedom that you get in how you want to turn up, what you want to work on, where you want to work from. 
I still find that something I'm incredibly grateful for, especially during, I think, lockdown, especially when you see people going into offices to commute, when I can just be here at home in our home office, I can take off to cafes, I can have lunch or breaks whenever I want, I can go out hiking in the middle of the day, I can play with our pups. Like, I think that absolute freedom to work on your own terms and do the work that lights you up is the best part of being an entrepreneur. The flip side of that is what I would call the entrepreneurial roller coaster. And maybe at the time of recording this, I just had it today. Like, there are still days when you wake up and you're like, what the heck am I doing? Or this isn't working. Or you just have doubts that creep in. You, you question everything. I just find that that's still a part of it. Less so, I think, as you go on, because you become more confident in what you do. You know your strengths. You know what to focus on. And hopefully, also, your revenue will become more repeatable and consistent. But it still doesn't mean that you don't have doubts about what you're doing. It still doesn't mean that you compare yourself to others and sometimes just wonder what the heck. You have less of those moments, I think. Josh is quite like steady in that. He's, you know, he'll have concerns about his business, but I don't think you ever have the same sort of doubts with you. Whereas for me, I, I do think I, I still have that. I'd also say there's quite a difference in the type of businesses you run. Yeah. Like your business is very connected to you as a brand and as a person. Whereas mine, it's like it's not Josh's business in a way. It's just a business that I'm supporting and part of. Yeah. And I think that changes the roller coaster a little bit. It's true. And so I think the nature of your business can also affect your enjoyment, your success, etc. Yeah. And so I think that's a big part of it. But definitely entrepreneurship is hard, but it's so incredibly rewarding. And I wouldn't choose any different, even though I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs like myself have thought about, oh, be like to just have a job again, but I think it's usually a fleeting thought or something you test out and then you're like, oh, no way. I've got to work for myself. It's the best. What's your favorite part of your business? Honestly, the people. So I care deeply about my customers and my clients and my audience and not that I crave or live for feedback, but when you have those moments, especially in courses or when you're teaching and sharing things with them, when you get that feedback that you helped transform something in their life or you touched their life or they learned something or they feel more confident or they had a breakthrough, even though it's not necessarily you that got it for them, it's just one of the most rewarding feelings and it's the thing that keeps you going on the days when you're like, ah, oh. it's that people interaction and seeing their accomplishments and seeing their success and just seeing them do what they really want is an amazing privilege to be part of that and having a little role to play in it. Cool. Uh, <laughs> Get away. Get away. Yeah, kia ora. Question from Chelsea Matilda Robinson. Hi, Chelsea. Where does your love of teal stem from? What does teal mean to you? When you have rooms with perfectly coordinated colors of teal and its complements, how does it make you feel? Do you know, I love this question so much. It's so off the charts, like just so different. Ironically, there's no, no, there is some teal in this room. I was just going to suggest, can you play the count the teal in this room game? Maybe. There's a lot of teal in our house. It's a really interesting question. I think it came about... (gasps) Josh's camera. I'm seeing nine independent items of teal-flavored color in Natalie's office here. Okay. Maybe I underestimated that. But it's distinctly peaceful and green. I think it came about five years ago, Chelsea, when teal wasn't the color du jour, but I think it was just starting to gain popularity as colors do go through phases. And to me, it's like both empowering and calming at the same time. And it's a color that I don't think will ever date. Um, And there's lots of different variations of teal. But for me, it's just, it's classy and it's strong and it's crisp, but it's also peaceful. I just think it goes really well with lots of things. What was the next part of that question? How does it make you feel when you're surrounded by teal and its compliments? Yeah, it makes me feel like 
powerfully peaceful, which is an odd combination. I think that's why I like it. Nice. It reminds me of um, a phrase from a Tai Chi teacher, which was stillness in motion. And mm. there's something about those juxtapositions which can be quite evocative, like powerfully peaceful. There we go. Evocative is exactly what we want on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I've got one here from Rachel Ann Harding. Hi, uh, Rachel. And what are your top three favorite meals you've eaten on your travels? That's really actually a tough question. I don't, I don't think I'm as much of a foodie as some of our friends that we have. Shout out to Yo and Songi. So I just really love traveling and trying new foods. I would say Greece back in 90s with my family. I just loved the simplicity and tastefulness of the good old Greek meal with the fresh bread and the olive oil and the souvlaki and the tzatziki and the, the grilled meats, just so super yum and the salads. I loved eating in Thailand. I just I, Thai fried rice and curries all the time. I just love the flavors there, especially eating from the street vendors, which everybody tells you not to do because you get a stomach bug. But I really liked a lot of the things that they did on the street. And then I would have to probably say, oh, so good. When I was in Vietnam, a lot of the foes, the soups and things, I found amazing. Like their food is actually extremely healthy, gluten-free, really good for people who have intolerances to food. I just didn't always know what I was ordering and I hoped that I wasn't ordering cat or dog in my foe, but I just really liked how they prepared everything fresh and the subtle flavors of all the herbs and spices. And it was um, just really delicious. Hmm. I guess, well, here's a, a related question that's not on the list. I think if you go back to what, four or five years ago when you were the suitcase entrepreneur, that was your brand, that was your book, that was everything. And the transition you've been on moving away from that. What are your biggest reflections as into you think about the Natalie Sisson you are now versus being a suitcase entrepreneur? That's a good question, Josh. I was just reminiscing on this today. I think I've been grieving a little bit of, of moving on from that for a few years. And a lot of people have heard me talk on this podcast and my blog and my emails about that identity shift that had to happen to decouple myself from this brand, the suitcase entrepreneur, which really had was always about others, but kind of what I became known for. And people would call me the suitcase entrepreneur because I guess I was in many ways. So I think it's just been a trip. <laughs> it's been a trip of detaching myself for appreciating and reflecting on that period, for being super grateful for building such a successful business during that, for letting it go as I finished up the intense traveling, for moving back to New Zealand, moving into a house, being with you, getting dogs, such a massive transition from that independent digital nomad girl life. And I think I've seen a lot of growth. There's been a whole lot of, as I said, reflection. I feel like some backward growth forward into some really positive growth. And I think it's allowed me to expand into more areas and to find my next phase of what I stand for and who I want to serve. Hmm. Cup high. Cup high means really good. Good job. And going back even further, we've got a question from Jen Jones about, I'm so curious, aka nosy, about who Natalie was prior to the suitcase entrepreneur. What helped mold you as a young woman and become who you are today? Where did you grow up? What were your parents like? What kind of student were you? Have you always exhibited entrepreneurial traits or is that something that evolved over time? Basically, what's your story? I love it. Jen's new to my 10K club, so she may not have heard me talk about it. Not to be cheeky here, but I actually do discuss quite a lot of that in the Suitcase Entrepreneur book and the Freedom Plan because I'm always talking about your sweet spot, that intersection between what you're good at or great at, what you enjoy doing, what you love doing, what people will pay you for and what's meaningful to you. And if I look back on my history, like all the things that I loved in school, 
journalism and language and English and art history and classics, um, which often involved travel then into university doing a tourism and service management degree and a business degree in IT, like every single thing that I did and I was interested in ultimately became the perfect combo for the suitcase entrepreneur business and what I do now. Even thinking back to when I used to make stupid videos on our good old camera that was gigantic and big and filming my family and playing around and goofing around and writing books and writing journals. And I had a really strong foundation at a great school, which was all about girls' success. It was an all-female school, um, really strong emphasis on being all-rounded, studying sports, languages, which I think served me really well. I was one of those people with the blazers in my last year with all the badges on, like doing way too many things, choir and, as I said, um, on the school newspaper and touch rugby and netball and tennis and all the things. So I think that served me really well. Growing up in New Zealand, I often talk about with massively strong female role models in leadership roles, in politics, governor generals. I think that's all just served for that female empowerment aspect of women can do anything and we deserve more and we're amazing and we need to like honor ourselves for that more. So that's made a huge part. And then obviously my parents, big travelers, just finished reading my mum's memoir. I mean, she traveled a lot. My dad traveled a lot. Together they traveled a lot. And when we were born, they just took us with them. So I'm forever grateful that my love of travel definitely came from them just opening our eyes to the amazingness of being able to travel the world and experience other cultures. What about entrepreneurship? Was that with you always or did you pick it that up? It wasn't actually. I really wish it had been. So nobody in my family was an entrepreneur, although dad dabbled, I guess, in a car dealership in, when he was retired. So that was kind of the first person I saw really trying to run their own business. And it was actually a massive failure and flop. And I learned a lot from that. So yeah, nobody directly in the family or in, even in the cousins line had been in business. So I'm quite curious. That was really just leaving the corporate world, going to Vancouver, surrounding myself with this entrepreneurial scene that I dropped into and taking a chance on starting a business and a hundred percent wanting to do my own thing at like the age of 27. So it was later in life. And then once you get into that entrepreneurial circle, it just, you see it everywhere, right? Suddenly you're surrounding yourself with those type of people. It's pretty cool. And related to the two books you mentioned, when can we buy Suck It Up Princess is what Seaside Jen wants to know. It's Seaside Jen from Instagram. Sorry, I don't know your real name. I love that question. So actually, it will be coming out at the end of March. March 30th is the release date, but you'll be able to pre-order it later in January. It's really just up to me. I've got the final manuscript sitting in a box over there in my office. I just need to go through with a red pen and mark up the final stuff. And then it'll be around getting it submitted to Amazon and to my website. But you can jump on the waitlist right now if you go to nataliesisson.com and click on the books. There's a little waitlist. So that'll allow you to get first dibs on it, find out any news about it, join my little book club. Super excited for that book to come out. Okay. I've got a question here. What have you learned about writing over three books? Like if you think about the stuff you know now, what would you tell your old self when you're trying to write your first one? Hmm. I feel like I've written all of them in quite a similar vein, which was create a crowdfunding Kickstarter campaign or just a crowdfunding campaign. Give yourself three months or less to write it and go for it. I feel like if I was given all the time in the world, I wouldn't have written those books. So Suck It Up Princess was written in lockdown, which was actually intense and hard, but good. Suitcase Entrepreneur was written while traveling the world, but in a very short time space and freedom plan as well. So the biggest thing that I've learned is that unless I have a hard deadline and a whole lot of people who have pre-ordered and committed, I think it would be much harder to write a book than the way I've done it. But also it's not like you just cram it into three months. It's also coming from a lot of knowledge and wisdom and, and a story that you really want to tell and share. 
So I think the biggest thing that's changed for me is just now I know that you'll go through all those feelings of, oh my God, is anybody even going to read this? Is this even good? And you'll have days where you're like, yes, I'm on fire and days where you're like, I can't write a thing. And I think that's quite common to a lot of authors and friends that I know who have those same feelings, like literally to be partway through a book and go, oh my goodness, like this is terrible or why? And then you pick it up another day and you're like, hmm. This is actually pretty good. I'll let you know when I do the final, final read through of the manuscript, what the verdict is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Still on the topic of books, we've got a question from Sophia Braun. Hi, from Tel Aviv. I started writing a biography about my husband, an inventor, and his invention. I'm experiencing enormous difficulty to continue this project, even though the material is all with me and I have perfect organization of what this book should include. When it comes to writing, I collapse. What advice do you have for me? I really love this question, Sophia, because two things came to mind straight away. The fact that you're writing about your husband, it's much more personal. So even though you might have all the organizational structure and all the knowledge of his inventions, there's still a heartfelt piece there to that book that you can't deny that will potentially make it more rewarding, but also a little harder to turn up to do. I don't know the circumstances of whether he's with you still or not, but don't give yourself some generosity and kindness there to just know that's difficult. I said that my mum wrote her memoir last year during lockdown, and if that helps, she really just took it one year at a time, and she just enjoyed the process. So every day she would turn up to the table at the same time, 1 p.m. in the afternoon, and she would sit down and she'd pull out photos from that period, and she would just start writing, and that is exactly how she finished kind of like 40 years of this memoir. I was really proud of her, actually, but she said that was the only way she could do it. One, lockdown helped. Two, a set time of the day, every day, where she sat at her table with all her papers out and had her photos for memory jogging and just let herself write and not self-edit. So one of the biggest things I've learned is don't self-edit your book as you're going. That's for later. That's for editors. Just get into that flow and stick to a daily commitment if you can. There'll be days when what you write is absolute crap and there'll be days when you are just in the flow and then you just run with those days and get as much as possible done. And the final thing I would say for you, Sophia, is get an accountability buddy. They don't have to be a writer. They don't have to be writing their book. But even if you turn up to a cafe or a Zoom call together and you just sit and do what you need to do, it's so much easier when somebody's holding you accountable and cheering you on. So if you need it, find a buddy. All right. Oh, can I just say one more thing on that? Focus on the why you want that book to go out. So it's clearly important to you that you tell your husband's story, but also think about all the people who would love to read it, who will be missing out on it if you don't release it into the world. So that's what I often focus on is who would this book serve? Whose life will it touch? And by me not completing it, how are they missing out on that? And what result or how could I have helped them? And why aren't I doing this? Does that make sense? So it's kind of like put a bigger why behind it than just you writing it. And think about all the people whose lives you're going to touch. Oh, I feel like we get to see Natalie the coach in action. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on that topic, what gives you the most joy in working with clients? Oh, just seeing them get out of their own way. That one's for Osman. Yeah, I think just seeing them have those aha moments for something that they might have been stuck on for ages, especially with my clients in the 10K Club, my beautiful queens, or my members of Launch Your Damn Course, like, They'll be stuck on something and then I'll say something in a coaching call or we'll say something in a group or a community or there'll be some piece of wisdom from somebody and they'll just be like, I got it. And often that comes from really great reflection as well. That's a beautiful thing. So I just love seeing people get unstuck and suddenly realize that they are all powerful and always have had the answer and are now unstoppable. Mm. And this question is from Katie Brian Jones Anderson. 
And there's a few follow-on points. What's one thing that frustrates you about working with clients? (laughs) I think it's the clients who kind of remain helpless. And luckily I don't attract too many clients like that because I'm all for having action takers and people who back themselves. And even if they don't know the answers, they're willing to give it a shot. But I have little time for people who are just kind of wanting the answers fed to them, aren't prepared to do the work and really aren't prepared to go all in. That kind of woe is me. What's the other word I'm looking for when they're just, they're kind of in pityville. You know, I fortunately don't find many clients like that. And we all have those moments, but at the end of the day, you're fully responsible for your success or your failure. And it's all about your attitude and your mindset. And I can help with so much, but if you're not prepared to turn up and give it your all, there's nothing that I can do to get you there. So I really love it when clients have that great attitude because they're so much easier to work with. And the final part of that is how have you created more joy and less frustration in working with clients? I think it's just all about the intentions you put out there. So I'm really clear on who I love to work with and who I resonate with. And I just seem to attract them in droves and it's a wonderful thing. It hasn't always been that way, but I think you as the type of person you are will resonate with a certain type of person and they'll show up in your life and then it's just a joy to work with them. It's not that you're always working with people like you, but you're working with people who have a similar attitude, like they want something out of life, they're positive, they want to create an impact, they want to do good in the world, they want to be the best that they can. That gives me joy when those people come into my world. It does indeed. It's wonderful hearing Natalie just talk about the, you know, seeing people make the victories they get and seeing them succeed. It's, I hear a little bit by osmosis. Here is one around, yeah, what does it take for someone to go from no idea or no business to earning 10K a month running their own business? Yeah, I actually really like that question because I feel like that's my jam. I think probably 90% of it is mindset. So Beginners can start out with very, very little, an idea, a hope, and a dream. But if they fully believe in the fact that they will get there, that they will make it happen, and that they have a bigger belief for how they want that to look, they're going to actually achieve that versus somebody who's like always coming up with ideas and never acting on them. I think so much of it is belief in yourself, even when you don't know what you're doing. And if I think back to when I started, sometimes that beginner mindset and not knowing what I didn't know was the best possible thing. It's um, now, like 11, 12 years later, I don't know how you feel about this, Josh, but they call it the curse of knowledge. I think the more knowledge you acquire, the more you can get in your own way and the more you can be like, well, I should really know this. So you don't take as many chances or you're not open to as many ideas. Like I've definitely found that something that last year I tried to work really hard on was coming back to being more of a beginner and meeting my students where they were at and trying to remember what it felt like to be back there to really get in their head. And I think when you're starting out, you have, you just don't know what you don't know. So you kind of go for it. And in some ways, it's a really brilliant way to be versus somebody who's maybe had five businesses before and they know what could happen. And I think they're more cautious or they avoid certain steps. I love that feeling of just being completely new to something and just going for it Mm. unabandoned. Yeah, there's um, a lot of things I've seen around people to a new field, like young scientists who don't know all the mistakes people have made, often being very innovative and coming up with very novel ideas, or people new to an industry, they've got experience in another one, but they move sideways, coming in and doing stuff that's creative and people haven't seen before. And I think there are advantages and disadvantages to being around the block uh, several times over 10 years or being very new to something. They've both got pros and cons in a way, mm. and um, you can do great work wherever you are. I did just want to add, because the specific question there was to get to 10K, and obviously the 10K club is part of that. 
that is all just about having a plan of how do you max out your revenue streams to make 10k that that bit feels simple not in achieving it but in working out how you could do it so it could be a series of you know you have a product you have a course you have services you offer one-to-one and you can actually start to see if you price yourself at this and you get this many clients that will lead to 10k a month so that bit is about knowing the stats and and figuring out your financials the reality of doing it I do think super comes back to your mindset is one of those things your motivation and the people you surround yourself with and uh, this question was from Marilyn Palmer and there's a few follow-on parts of it will you work with people one-on-one versus in a group to help them get a business which is successful So at this point, I don't do any one-to-one work. I do all my coaching within my 10K Club membership and my Launch Your Damn Course Accelerator. I started with one-on-one coaching and I'm forever grateful for that. I think you learn so much when you do one-on-one work. But what I found, Marilyn, is that even though every single person is unique and individual, the problems or challenges they were having started to become quite similar because we all struggle with the same things, fear of success, fear of failure, lack of clients, misunderstanding of marketing, no knowledge about sales funnels, how do you build a team? And so for me, it feels that I can serve people better at scale by doing group coaching, still personalized within that, still very much a lot of attention on each individual, but it just feels like I can make more of an impact with the time that I have if I'm coaching in a group scenario versus one-to-one. And for myself, when I'm training programmers, we do all of our training cohort-based because people just learn faster when they've got someone ahead of them they can learn from, people alongside of them they can learn with, and people coming behind them they can teach. And that becomes like an optimized learning environment. So I suspect it's somewhat the same when people have got peers that are going through similar struggles. Yeah, beautifully put. Like That was the thing that I realized once I started doing group coaching within the programs and courses was that other people seeing other people make it or have those little breakthrough moments or do something was really encouraging and motivating for everybody else. And then everybody else got the motivation and confidence to do it. You can't replicate that in one-on-one. You certainly can have a lot of personalized attention, but there's something about that group environment and going on that journey together, which is really powerful. Mm. Never say never though. (laughs) Okay. So a couple more left. This is a question from Mirka Seidel. And when people meet each other, they usually ask the same question, how are you? Often with not much interest um, in the results, and rarely the answers are you know really truthful. It's a bit of a, a ritual in a way. What do you think we should actually ask each other, and what would be the most important and meaningful question to ask upon meeting someone? I love this question, Mecca. My little unicorn of positivity there. She's in the 10K club too. I have played around with this so much because when I started my business and was networking in Vancouver, I went to so many events during this nine-month sort of space. And every single person's like, hi, what's your name? What do you do? Where are you from? And it was so boring, even though I get it. And so I've played around with what's your why, which most people are stunned at and they're like, they don't know what it is. What lights you up? What's something you do for fun? And I honestly think you should actually have a bit of fun with it. And every event that you go to, whether it's online or offline, people you meet, ask a question that incites some curiosity just so that you can learn more about them. Like I'm quite keen to go in at at a level that's just gets intimate really quickly because I think it's far more interesting. And the type of people who respond to that question, if they respond really well, they're like, oh, I love that question. Let's jam on it. Are probably the type of people you want to hang out with. The people who are sitting there going, I know it sounds harsh, but they're probably not your people, especially if you want to have more engaging, interesting, intelligent conversations about things that matter. Life's too short for small talk and learning like tiny little bits. So 
I don't have a specific question. Josh might, but I do really like questions like, what lights you up? What are you passionate about is a little bit harder, but you do get really interesting answers from that. And what's top of mind for you this week is often a really cool way to just get into their world quite quickly. You know, if they're dealing with something that's quite important or traumatic, not necessarily want to go down that path, at least you get right to the heart of what is important to them right now. Or you could go for something super fun like, what's your favorite color? Teal. I don't know. It sparks a conversation. Do you have a favorite question? Not really. Um, I avoid small talk like the plague, but I do spend a lot of time in like dinner groups or that sort of thing, trying to come up with the right question Mm. to unlock interesting conversation. For example, over New Year's, we were having dinner with some friends. And I think my favorite one then was, what are three dreams you have for your partner over the next year? And it's just the sort of question which I've never been asked that. I've never asked people that before. And because it's novel and new, it unlocked a lot of creativity. But also because it's about someone the other person cared about, it unlocked a lot of emotion. So that was a really amazing and fruitful conversation. Josh is very good at that. That was a beautiful, a beautiful series of questions to ask. And Mirka, I think it's up to you. Like if we want to have better conversations in this world, ask better questions. So be that unique unicorn that you are. Come out with the question that kind of stumps people. I actually think people are craving it and they really appreciate it because it gets them thinking outside the box and they just can't stand to tell one more person who they are and what they do because that doesn't really tell you anything about who they really are, right, and what's important to them. All right. One more here and then I've got one last one for you. So this question is from Osman Sharif. What are you most proud of in your business to date? And when are we doing our next Bali retreat? (laughs) Hi, Osman in Scotland there. What am I most proud of in my business to date? Starting the business and making it a success, especially my first business, um, the suitcase entrepreneur. Like that was huge for me to go out on my own and do that. And actually, like to this date, still being an entrepreneur almost 12 years later. You can hear any panting in here, by the way. We have both our dogs in here. They've come in to join us and itching and scratching and all the fun things. They're just gorgeous. They tried to climb up on the couch that we're doing this interview on. You know, they just want to be part of the action. So Osman, yeah, I think literally becoming an entrepreneur was my proudest moment, giving up the corporate life, taking that big leap and risk and heading to from London to Vancouver and just believing in myself and all the things that have come out of that. Meeting you, running our retreat. So question for when are we doing the next Bali retreat? Honestly, Oz, I think it's going to be 2020. Two, I mean, who knows with the borders and stuff right now, but it's going to happen. We're going to do many more Bali retreats. The $100 million question right now is when the heck will that be? But we'll be doing more for sure. All right. Last question from me. Well, first off, congratulations, 100 episodes. Yeah. That's, that's a milestone. In 100 episodes more, 200 episodes, and we're sitting on this couch asking some questions, uh, what stories do you want to be able to tell? Mm, look at that see there's another good question well I'm changing things up a little bit obviously this is my second podcast the first one was a suitcase entrepreneur I think I got to 300 episodes on that heavy breathing angel she's just staring at us over there breathing at us like it's so cute in a weird kind of way so I think this year I want to change this podcast up and do more solo episodes people seem to have resonated with that last year I've had amazing guests on the show and I love interviewing them I learn so much from them rather selfishly I get to like dig deep into their brain and ask all the questions I want to know but I also have a lot more to share this year and teach and tell so in a year from now I'd like to see that the stats for this podcast have 
grown hugely and that people have really resonated with the content that I've put out and the episodes that I've chosen to talk about and that we've got more real and vulnerable in every single episode. So always holding myself to a higher standard to bring better content because let's face it, it's competitive out there. I really appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to me and to this podcast and amongst the millions of others you could choose from. So just all about delivering more value to you and having more fun. All right, that's it for all the questions. Thank you, Josh, for being my favorite interviewer. It's fun to be on the other side of that. (laughs) I look forward to interviewing Josh at some point. But right now it's really disturbing that Angel is just breathing so heavy and looking at us. I will take a little video of her just so you can see in it what we're seeing. I don't think I have any final thoughts. Just, again, 100 is a real milestone to reach. It's kind of flown by, actually. And I'm just super proud of the Untapped podcast, the people who have celebrated it with me, been on the show, given their all, amazing guests, amazing content. And to every single listener out there who's rated it, reviewed it, who feeds back to me when they love an episode, it means the world to me because we sit behind a mic and talk to it as if there's one person listening. So it's really wonderful when you get actual feedback because then you're like, oh, this counts. And there's somebody out there listening in. So thank you so much. No, thank you. And you can find this episode at nataliesisson.com forward slash podcast or forward slash 100, like 100. It's very exciting to write that in. More goodness in 2021, I'm sure. Thanks, babe. Kia ora.